You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Do you own any books written by 17th century Particular Baptists? There are several I would recommend, but there's one that has remained in print consistently since it was first produced in the early 1660s. It's had various names. Sometimes it's titled, A Drop of Honey from the Rock Christ. Originally, it was called A Guide to Eternal Glory. I have a copy produced in 1855 by Horatius Bonar, which calls it Christ is All. That's a title that wonderfully sums up this sweet booklet. Who was the author and what was so stirring about this short work that has caused it to stay in print for over 350 years? It was written by a particular Baptist pastor, Thomas Wilcox. Almost everything we know about him comes from a short entry in Thomas Crosby's History of the English Baptists from the late 1730s, volume 3, page 101. Let me read that to you. Mr. Thomas Wilcox, elder of a small congregation, which met before the sickness at his house in Cannon Street, afterwards at the Three Cranes in the borough of Southwark. He was two or three times put into Newgate for nonconformity and suffered very much. He writ a small piece, which was printed before the fire of London, entitled, A Drop of Honey from the Rock Christ. A piece that was very well esteemed, and has done much good, and been oft reprinted. He was born in the month of August, 1622, at Linden, in the county of Rutland, and died May 17, 1687, in the 64th year of his age. He was a moderate man, and of Catholic principles, well-beloved by all denominations, and frequently preached among the Presbyterians and Independents. He left a widow and three children. Let me unpack that a bit for you. Thomas Wilcox was the pastor of a small Baptist congregation who met in his home just a few blocks north of the Thames River in London. This was before the year 1665, when the Great Plague of London began. It killed 100,000 people of London's 400,000 residents. Then he moved across the river south of London to Southwark. For not conforming to the government's laws about religious worship in the English state church, he was sent to Newgate. This was a notorious and ancient prison, and he suffered there severely several times, Typically, in those days, incarcerations for breaking this law were six months long. The booklet we are discussing was written before September of 1666, when the Great Fire of London raged. It was highly thought of and even came to other lands like Finland, where it had a strong gospel impact. He was born in central England, but we only know of his ministry time spent in London. He wasn't overly narrow in his religious practice, but was principled. He preached for other dissenting churches. We might ask, where did Crosby get this information? 
probably from his brother-in-law, Benjamin Stinton. Both men had married daughters of Benjamin Keach, the well-known Baptist leader from Southwark. Stinton followed Keach in the pastorate of the Horsley Down Baptist Church in Southwark and collected Baptist historical information. But he died before he wrote his planned Baptist history. Crosby took the materials and produced four volumes. So it seems reasonable to conjecture that the information came from Keach himself, since his pastorate in Southwark overlapped Wilcox's for 20 years. Surely he must have known him, and his sons-in-law obtained this information. Wilcox's book promotes Jesus Christ as the all-sufficient Savior of men. It promotes a salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Let me whet your spiritual appetites with a short reading from the book. The way of being justified before God is in and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All our self-righteousness is as filthy rags. For surely shall one say, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Isaiah 45, 24 and 25. It is only through the death of the just one that the unjust ones are brought to God. As it is written, He that knew no sin was made sin for us, that we who were nothing but sin might be the righteousness of God in him. Christian reader, let all that is of old Adam in you fall down at the foot of Christ. He only must have the preeminence. All the vessels of this spiritual new covenant temple, from the cups to the pitchers, must all be hung upon Christ. He is to bear the glory. He, by his Father's appointment, is the foundation stone, the cornerstone, the top stone. He is the Father's fullness of grace and glory. Whatever you need, you may come to him. There is balsam in him fit for the cure. A word of advice to my own heart and yours. If you're a professor of the Christian faith and partaker of all the ordinances of the church, you do well, for they are glorious privileges. But if you have not the blood of Christ at the root of your profession, then your profession will wither and prove only to be a cheap decorative suit to wear as you enter into hell. If you retain guilt and self-righteousness under your profession, those vipers will eat out all the vitals of it. Try and examine with the greatest strictness every day what foundation your profession and hope of your glory is built on. See if your hope was laid by the hand of Christ. If not, it will never be able to endure the storm which must come against it. Satan will throw it all down, and great will be the fall of it. Matthew seven twenty-seven. Look over your soul daily and ask, Where is the blood of Christ to be seen upon my soul? What righteousness is it that I stand upon to be saved? Many eminent professors have come at length to cry out in the sight of the ruin of all their duties, undone, undone to all eternity. Consider that the greatest sins may be hiding under the greatest duties 
and under the greatest terrors. Make sure that the wound that sin has made in your soul is perfectly cured by the blood of Christ, rather than being skinned over with Christian duties, humblings, and enlargements. Apply what you will beside the blood of Christ, and it will poison the sore. You will find that you can't mortify sin truly if you have never seen Christ bleeding for you on the cross. Nothing can kill it but the beholding of Christ's righteousness. If you have truly seen Christ, you have seen pure grace and pure righteousness, such infinite grace and righteousness that far exceeds all sin and misery. If you have seen Christ, you can trample upon all other forms of so-called righteousness of men and angels. For only Christ's righteousness is able to bring you into acceptance with God. If you have seen Christ, then you would not attempt to obey God without the righteousness of Christ covering your imperfections for 10,000 worlds. If ever you have seen Christ, you saw him as a rock higher than self-righteousness, Satan, and sin. If you have seen Christ, this rock continues to follow you. And there will be a continual dropping of honey and grace out of that rock to satisfy you. Christ is the mystery of the scripture, and grace is the mystery of Christ. Believing is the most wonderful thing in the world. Add anything of your own to it, and you will spoil it. Christ will not so much as look at it. When you believe and come to Christ, you must leave behind your own righteousness and bring nothing but sin. Oh, that is hard. You must leave behind all your holiness, sanctification, duties, humblings, and bring nothing but your wants and miseries, or else Christ is not fit for you or you fit for Christ. Bring anything but sin to Christ, and you will remain a sinner before Christ. It is the hardest thing in the world to take Christ alone for righteousness, that is, to acknowledge him as Christ. Join anything of your own to him, and you unchrist him. When you go to God for acceptance, whatever comes in besides Christ, call it Antichrist. Bid it goodbye. Make only Christ's righteousness triumphant. All besides the righteousness of Christ is Babylon, which must fall. Christ alone did tread the winepress, and there was none with him. If you join anything to Christ, Christ will trample upon it in fury and anger and stain his raiment with the blood thereof. Do you think it is easy to believe? Was ever your faith tried with an hour of temptations and a thorough sight of sin? Was it ever put to grapple with Satan and the wrath of God lying upon the conscience? When you were in the mouth of hell, and the grave, then did God show you Christ a ransom. Then could you say, oh, I see grace enough in Christ. If so, you may say that which is the biggest word in the world. You believe. Untried faith is uncertain faith. I hope this example of pastoral heart in a particular Baptist minister is an aid to your faith. If you'd like to own your own copy of this little gem, 
I recommend A Choice Drop of Honey from the Rock of Christ, newly published by Free Grace Press. The work is also found as part of Looking Unto Jesus, The Christ-Centered Piety of 17th Century Baptists by J. Stephen Ewell. The latter has more accurate historical commentary on the work, but the first is easy to read and inexpensive. Again, thanks for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace.